And tonight on the Virtual Bible Study, we want to talk about the New Testament. How did we get the New Testament that we have today? It's a really important question. We quote the New Testament all the time. People who are Bible believers just use it and sort of assume that it is a legitimate document and that it is what it claims to be, the Word of God, and we put all of our trust and faith and confidence in it. But there are those who dispute that and who would argue that what we have is not a really uh, sound, ancient document, but that we have some sort of a a fraud or a forgery or maybe a compilation of myth and mythology. And we want to address that. How did we get the New Testament, and can we put our confidence in it as the Word of God? All right. Uh, we got a question at the end of our program last week in which a listener asked that question and made the, uh, the claim that, well, you just can't trust it. In fact, it's just sort of a book of legend that has accumulated over time. Is that true? What do we think and what do we know about how we got the New Testament? We're going to talk about that on the Virtual Bible Study. We'll look forward to your participation. The Virtual Bible Study starts right after this. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, February, March, May 25th, 2017. May. Thank you for being here with us tonight on the program. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Hello, Jacob. And Monty's behind the controls. Monty, welcome to the program. Oh, Jacob's good to be here. Looking forward to your comments, Monty. Uh, from that side of the of the room tonight, and look forward to hearing from you. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. And if you're in the, the chat room at our webpage, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, you can chat there. You can chat on Facebook, on YouTube. We are uh, wherever you are and wherever you see a chat room, sign in there and share your comments with other listeners, and we can include those in our discussion here. Kevin's in the chat room at thevirtualbiblestudy.com, and he's telling everyone hello. He's ready for our devotional, he says, every Thursday night right here. And that's right, Kevin. Thank you for joining us and being a regular participant in our study. Last week at the conclusion of our program, we had some comments from a listener and that uh, sort of provoked uh, this uh, study tonight. The listener said, I think Jesus was a real person, and I think he had a good message, but I think that the New Testament is mostly, quote, fan fiction, unquote, about a legendary, inspiring man, Jesus Christ, and that how we got what we have now was the decision of a bunch of men. And he referenced the Council of Nicaea. Well, that's a interesting thought, but not a unique thought. A lot of but folks have now, that opinion. Now, Mark did say, and I hope that Mark is listening tonight, or at least will be able to hear our response to his question. He says, I'm open to being wrong. Uh, and then he said it would, it would be uh, uh, good to have an episode on this. And so, uh, so that, we are, are. are going to do that. And uh, we, make some, we make the point often that if you have a question or some 
issue that you'd like to hear discussed, let us know. Mark, let us know simply through the chat room during our program last right. week. We're glad to yeah. uh, deal with that. Yeah, and we're going to do that in a way that uh, we think is respectable and uh, loving. We uh, don't want this to be a, an ugly discussion at all, but we just ha- and we're thankful for the opportunity to present what we believe on this subject and uh, place it out there for scrutiny if it is wrong, and uh, maybe uh, others can help us to better understand uh, what we're talking about tonight. But uh, we're very confident in our faith in the New Testament and how we got it, uh, and we want to talk about that tonight. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Remember that we are not only streaming on our website, but we're also live streaming on Facebook. And I see Sandra, Clyde, and Bradley are listening on Facebook. Good to have you in our audience tonight. Uh, and also on YouTube. We don't, we don't uh, hype our YouTube channel very much, but you can find us on YouTube as well. The Virtual Bible Study on YouTube. Uh, our page is simply that, the, the Virtual Bible Study. And Kevin's in the chat room at thevirtualbiblestudy.com, as we mentioned earlier. He's in listening from Cincinnati tonight. See Jeff in there, uh, Sarah, Arthur, and Philip, and some others as well. So sign in and share your thoughts with other listeners tonight. It's great to have a Bible study forum like this where we can study with folks from all over the U.S. and all over the world, many times international listeners as well. And so it is a blessing to be able to get together on a weekly basis in this format. Uh, Jacob, earlier today we sent out our our update as to what our topic would be tonight. We always do that on Thursdays at about noon or a little bit before. Um, and so we, we let you know ahead of time what we're going to be discussing. We've also been posting that on our Facebook page. So if you follow our Facebook page, you'll get it there. Um, if you want to get our weekly update, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Say, put me on the list. We'll be glad to do that. You'll also get well, you get two mailings a week from us. One is our Thursday update. The other is a, a weekly mailing of our church bulletin with the articles from our church bulletin. But um, To our update list earlier today, we asked these questions. What do we mean when we talk about the canon of the scriptures? Number two, is the New Testament inspired? What is meant by inspiration? Mm -hmm. Number three, how long did it take before the writings of the New Testament were generally considered to be inspired? Number four, how do non-inspired writers of the first and second centuries help us in establishing confidence in the New Testament? And then number five, did the men at the Council of Nicaea actually decide what is in our New Testament? That that was implied by Mark's comment last week, uh, and uh, we want to talk about that. All right. So just a bunch of men maybe decided that we're what we're going to have in the Bible, what we're not, and uh, it was just sort of their own opinion and uh, their decision, and that's what we have today. We'll talk about that as we go along in the program, and we'll look forward to your comments what do you mean when you use the word canon? I know what Monty means when he uses the word canon, and uh, it makes a loud boom, but uh, not the same kind of canon we're actually, talking about Actually, this is, this is actually spelled differently. All right. A canon that shoots a cannonball in a battlefield is a C-A-N-N-O-N. This, right. is, this is canon, C-A-N-O-N, one N in the middle. Uh, and what that word literally means is... A measuring rule. And so what we are saying when we talk about the canon of Scripture is the, the, the rule, the measuring stick that was held up to various writings to see if they qualified as 
truly inspired messages from God. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there, there were, there were some rules that were sort of, no, nobody had the authority to legislate what rules would be followed, but there were just some common sense sort of things because a decision had to be made. Not, not all of, of the New Testament was written by a single man. There were at least eight different men who wrote parts of the New Testament. It certainly wasn't written all at the same time. Somewhere between 20 and 50 years were involved in the time frame in which the New Testament documents were written. And the fact of the matter is we know that we don't have all of the writings of the men who did write in the New Testament. Kind of an interesting statement in 1 Corinthians 5, the book we call 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9 Paul said, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. So in the book we call 1 Corinthians, Paul mentions a previous thing that he had written to the church at Corinth that we don't have. And so uh, that raises some questions. Uh, how did the books that are in the New Testament get there? Who decided which books would be included? And why were other books excluded from uh, our New Testament? And do we really have all the books that we ought to have when we talk about the 27 books of the New Testament? Um, that and, and so those questions are basically the questions that surround the idea of the canon of the Scriptures. Uh, it, again, it's a measuring rule. It's a standard uh, uh, or system of rules. Uh, but whereby people came to conclude that these were legitimate documents from inspired writers. Jeff has responded to your question tonight. He says, the best answer I get, can give is a quote press website. The canon is the rule, the measure by which books are accepted or rejected. If they are inspired, then they are canonical. Uh, and uh, thank you for that, Jeff. And Paul is uh, commenting tonight from Washington State. Thank you, Paul, for joining the uh, discussion tonight. Uh, he says the word canon is from the Greek word canon, meaning read or measurement. It refers to the books which meet the measure or standard for being considered part of the true scriptures or the authoritative word of God. The true scriptures were inspired by God and were authoritative from the moment written, not decided on by a council of men. These books were preserved by those who wrote and received them and diligently copied by scribes. Jesus affirmed the completeness of the Old Testament scriptures in Luke 24, verse 44, the law, the prophets, and Psalms, which all spoke of him. And so he catches them all there. That's a good point. Jesus said, and the apostles wrote all but two books of the Old Testament uh of the New Testament. Uh, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would help preserve his sayings, John 14, verse 26, and guide them into all truth, John 16, 17 through, or 7 through 13. The writings of Paul were called Scripture by Peter, 2 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16, and the words of Jesus are quoted as Scripture by Paul, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, which combines Old Testament Scripture with Jesus' words from Luke 10, verse 7. Paul uh, has gotten... The way the labor is worthy of his wages. Excellent comments. Well, he's gotten ahead of us. Several of those things that he commented on there, we want to comment on as we develop this study. So we'll get back. We won't comment on them now, yeah, but we'll get back to it. Excellent points there and points that we'll want to take notes on as we get uh, further along in the study. Thank you um, for that, Paul. So nobody, as we said earlier, nobody had the... the um, authority to legislate rules that would determine which books were considered to be 
legitimate or not. But there were just some common sense rules that that people applied uh, that make sense. Uh, uh, sort of a, a standard textbook along this line uh, was written by R.E. Dixon. And in and, and his document, he suggested that these kind of rules were followed. Did the Jews accept as inspired the specific Old Testament book, if you're talking about Old Testament canonicity, is the book endorsed by other inspired writers? Now, Paul mentioned Peter talked about things Paul wrote. And so uh, you, you get the idea that if, if one inspired writer recommended another inspired writer, that'd be a, a pretty good credential. Uh, did the first century Christians accept as inspired the specific New Testament document under consideration? We can know what they thought about some of these books, and we'll comment about that as we go along. Were the books recognized by Jesus and his apostles as being of divine origin? Does, as again, talking about the Old Testament, does the specific Old Testament book fit into the divine chain of prophets? Does the specific book speak with inspirational authority? That's a pretty good question right there. Uh, we've talked about this on the Virtual Bible Study before, and you can check in our archives to find it. But there's a set of books called the Apocrypha. Catholic Bibles include the apocryphal books, and uh, but most people reject them as not being legitimate. And this question was one of the reasons why. Because in some of those, uh, and I have to get out some notes to find the exact uh, reference, but some of those in the Apocrypha, the author will say things like, if I've, if I've made a mistake here, please excuse me. Well, that doesn't sound like that. he's speaking yeah. with inspiration. And that's right. what this question is. Does the specific book speak with inspirational authority? Uh, does the document under examination contradict teachings of other documents that have already been accepted as inspired? That's a good rule. That's a good common sense rule. You could, th- this book could not be considered an inspired book if it's contradicting a number of other books that have already been given this acknowledgement. And then this book shows up and it contradicts those books. This book is probably doesn't belong in our New Testament. Um, so those are the kind of rules that were implied. Again, nobody had the nobody had the license or authority to legislate a set of rules that had to be met by documents before they were included in the New Testament. But just common sense provided some guidelines by which men came to believe and came to believe real quickly which writings were by inspiration of God. All right. We want to hear from you on the program tonight. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Uh, Kevin says, we want to understand how the early church viewed these writings, especially since it took a while until all were put together completely. All churches only had some of these epistles and writings until then. And so certainly it wasn't like a book today where somebody said, okay, we're coming out with the Bible and it's going to be published on March 31st and 33 A.D. and here you go. Yeah, we know that there are 27 different documents that are all bound together in the book that we call the New Testament, but they were separate independent documents and some decision had to be made about should they be accepted, and then ultimately, should they be put together into something that we identify as the New Testament? All right. Let's get a break and we'll get back. Before, before we do, I've got to yeah. shout out to some people, Jacob, on okay. Facebook. Caden is watching. Hey, Caden. Amanda, uh, Eva, Petra, um, 
Uh, also, Nikki, Micah, Kate, and Emily. Right. So we got a lot of people watching hey, on Facebook. Hello to everyone out there tonight, and thank you for tuning in. And we'll look forward to comments from you as we go along in the program. We'll talk about how we got the New Testament. Uh, let us know your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. This is Monty Overton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. We appreciate your interest in the Bible. It is, after all, God's message to us. We thought you might be encouraged by a poem written by A.Z. Conrad entitled, The Bible Stands. It goes like this. Century follows century, there it stands. Empires rise and fall and are forgotten, there it stands. Dynasty succeeds dynasty, there it stands. Kings are crowned and uncrowned, there it stands. Emperors decree its extermination, there it stands. Atheists rail against it, there it stands. Agnostics smile cynically, there it stands. Profane, prayerless punsters caricature it, there it stands. Unbelief abandons it, there it stands. Higher critics deny its claimed inspiration. There it stands. The flames are kindled against it. There it stands. The tooth of time gnaws but makes no dent in it. There it stands. Infidels predict its abandonment. There it stands. Modernism tries to explain it away. There it stands. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Life poses three major problems. Guilt, grief, and the grave, which only Jesus can solve. He is wiser today who can admit he was wrong yesterday. Man, wish I'd said that. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. We're back on the program tonight, and we're uh, considering a question posed or a statement posed by, presented by Mark in our program last week where he said, the New Testament is mostly fan fiction about a legendary, inspiring man, Jesus Christ, and that how we got what we have now was the decision of a bunch of men in the Council of Nicaea. Uh, that's the claim, not a claim that uh, uh, Mark makes alone. Many folks are making such claims. Are they substantiated? How do we get the New Testament? That's our discussion tonight. Well, we talked about the idea of the canon of the Scriptures, uh, and the canon was just a system of judgments that men used to determine whether or not a writing was inspired. Now, we've talked before several times on the virtual Bible study about inspiration, but we ask the question again, is the New Testament inspired and what do we mean by inspired? There's a lot of different ways the word inspired might be used, you know, just as we've suggested before. I see a beautiful sunset and I'm inspired to make a, a drawing or paint a picture. Yeah. Uh, for me, it would, the best close I could get to that would be take a photograph Stick maybe. Three. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, the some people have these kind of ideas about inspiration, or maybe God gave the general idea to these men, and they sat down and wrote it out in their own words. There's just the, uh, there's just some real adequate definitions of inspiration. But when we, if we want to know what inspiration is, a good passage to go to is Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen, which says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The expression there, by inspiration of God, literally means God breathed. Everything written is God breathed. If you were going to make a literal translation of that phrase, it would say everything written is God breathed. And and the idea of breathing 
is you know we we have to breathe in order to produce sounds and make words and so what Paul was saying there is everything written is as though it was spoken by God and he was declaring a word for word sense in which the the New Testament was given God didn't just give broad general ideas and let men flesh them out on their own in the original languages, now we understand the original language of the New Testament was not English, uh, but in the original language of the New Testament, every word that is was in there was there because God wanted it to be there. That's what the, the, the New Testament claims for itself. We think there are a lot of proofs of inspiration. We've studied that subject before. Uh, and so we won't, we won't dive off into that uh, m- more. But understand, when we say that we believe the New Testament books are inspired, we're saying that in their original languages, that every word that was there was there because God wanted it to be there. Not just concepts or ideas, but every word. All right, and those are some of the thoughts shared by Jeff tonight. Jeff says, yes, the New Testament is inspired, or is indeed inspired, and when speaking of Bible of the Bible by being inspired, we mean God breathed. God told the writers what he wanted them to write. They may have used their own terminology, but he gave them... The guidance to go by Second Timothy three verse sixteen. Not only did he give them the guidance, he gave them the words. And Paul in Washington State is uh, on that uh, thought here. He says the New Testament is inspired just as the Old Testament. Second Timothy three verse sixteen and seventeen says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. From the Greek word theonustos, made up of two parts, theos and nustos, thus God breathed. Inspiration means God influenced or moved holy men of God to speak or write the exact word of God, just as though it was being spoken or breathed by the mouth of God. He references 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. Paul makes it clear that the Holy Spirit revealed the very words of God, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 13. Now, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13, Paul says it wasn't just... He wasn't just guiding the thoughts or the concepts or the ideas, but he was guiding the actual words. In verse 13 of First Corinthians 2, Paul says, Which things we also speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So Paul says that uh, they were speaking the actual words that were given, or writing the actual words given uh, by the Holy Spirit. Okay, I think that's right. So that's what we're talking about by inspiration. Now, of course, what we've got to prove, and it's not our purpose to prove uh, or, or to discuss inspiration thoroughly tonight. We've done that before. And we do think we have a burden to prove that, that the documents of the New Testament are inspired. Uh, but we're really talking about how how did the books come to be and how did they get passed down to us I see Mark, uh, who asked us the question last week, has showed up in the chat room. Hey, Mark, Mark, glad to have I'm you glad there. Glad you're here, Mark. Uh, Sarah in the chat room says, I, it would make sense to me since some of the earliest followers of Christ were Jewish scribes and were very careful about making copies. Also, I have come to believe, also I have to believe that God would make sure that his words would be available for all people when the apostles had died. Yeah, uh, that's that's one point that we want to really carry through, and we may probably emphasize that at the end of our study. God made a promise about preserving his word, and that's very important to us. Peter chapter 1, verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, know this, which liveth and abideth forever. A promise that we can have confidence in, that God has stated that his word would be preserved, and we believe it has been. 
All right, Sarah clarifies. She's talking about Jewish scribes that were converted to Christ, yeah. con- not not just Jewish scribes in general. Yes, okay. thanks, Sarah, for your comments tonight. All right, now, so okay, we're we're making a little bit of a leap here. We're saying the scriptures were inspired. We believe they were verbally plen- it was verbal plenary inspiration. Okay, you're breaking word, off new words now. Word for word and full, complete, okay. complete. Yes, word for word, complete. Uh, inspiration of the scriptures is what the New Testament claims, and we and it's what we believe. Look back in our archives if you want more arguments to support about inspiration. Those about inspiration, yeah. right? Okay. Now, but the question is, when these writers wrote by inspiration, how did their documents come to us, and how were they preserved, and how was it judged that those were inspired documents, and how did they get ultimately compiled uh, into the book we call the New Testament? Well, first of all. When those fellows wrote, the product of their work was immediately acknowledged as and was accepted by early Christians. Now, Sarah in the chat room says, I thought I read somewhere that the churches would make copies of the letters. They did. Okay. Now, we're going to talk about that. Um, Remember, there initially when when the church began, there were no written documents whatsoever. None of the books in the New Testament had been written when the church was first established. When the first Christians began to meet and worship and serve God, there were there were no documents that we today know as parts of our New Testament. But uh, they were being taught orally mm-hmm. by the inspired apostles acts 242 they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine they knew what the apostle doctrine was they were taught it by the apostles uh, paul says in first thessalonians 2 verse 13 for this cause we thank god without ceasing because when you received the word of god which you heard of us you received it not as the word of men but as it is in truth the word of god which effectually worketh also in you that believe so these first early Christians, well, they were in direct contact with the inspired apostles. And so they knew what the apostles were teaching. And then when this began to be committed to writing as various inspired men, we said the New Testament was written by at least eight different human penmen. When they began to write, the things that they wrote were compared to what had already been taught orally. And uh, their writings were accepted uh, immediately as being inspired of God. Someone has said that the scripture, the, the writings of these inspired men in the first century were scripture before the ink had dried on the page. In other words, it didn't, it didn't take uh, an evolution of time before the things that Peter wrote were accounted as inspired or the things that paul wrote were accounted as inspired why do you suppose that was oh well uh because i mean if i wrote something no one would claim it to be inspired well because first of all they knew these men and these men had demonstrated the proofs of apostleship they were working miracles among them as they taught them the word okay and so I know if if I was living then, I would know Peter is an is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was with Jesus. He saw the resurrected Lord. He has been confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Mark sixteen yeah. verse twenty. So so these men were were 
known to be inspired men and and that was being confirmed by the miracles that they were working and these early christians knew these men there were also inspired prophets among those christians themselves in addition to the apostles there were other inspired men and so it was known that they were inspired they were giving the proofs by miracles that they were speaking by inspiration now some have erroneously taught that these various writings, and we've got 27 of them in our New Testament, but these various writings were all out there, uh, and it, it took it took a long time. It took it took decades. It took centuries before people began to say, you know that that one there, I think, is special. That's save that one off by itself. That one's hung around here for a while. Maybe we ought to look at it. You know that maybe it took it took couple hundred 300 plus years before that really became in their in their minds and that's just wrong there there was no evolution of thought the writings of those men were immediately acknowledged as being inspired i see we're up to to break time jacob let's grab a break and then let's talk about how they acknowledged those writings and how they began to circulate them themselves. All right, and then uh, Mark has a comment in the chat room. He says, y'all have to admit, though, that quoting the Bible to prove by an almighty creator is basing everything upon one book. What proves the Bible itself as all truth, despite having conflicts with recorded history? Well, we're not going to base it all on one book, Mark, but uh, we have to ask you, what conflicts with recorded history can you present? Uh, there there aren't, aren't, there he, he mentions one. Where where does Egypt record the Jews leaving Egypt? You know, they didn't. And probably the reason they didn't, because that was a devastating episode in the history of the Egyptians. You, I mean, they were effectively wiped out by the plagues that mo, that were worked by God through Moses. And they lost. Uh, they, the, their nation was devastated as a result of that. And, of course, that was in a, in a time where written histories were were pretty vague anyway and and not many of them have been found but you can imagine why the egyptians wouldn't want to write a lot about what happened to them they were on the big losing end of that episode and for it to be a conflict there has to be an account that would contradict and just yeah. because it may not be mentioned somewhere doesn't uh, that doesn't amount to a conflict or a yeah. contradiction uh and so we would we would claim the bible has no errors in historical accuracy there are no contradictions with recorded history in the bible but again we're not dealing so much with the proofs of inspiration tonight as as we're trying to deal with the question that mark posed last week mark we'd be glad to talk with you about proofs of inspiration but our our real thrust of emphasis tonight is on how did how did in the question that you wrote last week you you said uh uh how how did we get what we have now? Just a bunch of men at the Council of Nicaea decided that. And we're saying that's not how it came to be. Mark says that's quite silly to assume. Essentially, the America of the time decided not to have an embarrassing section of history. That's like the U.S. saying slavery never happened. Well, the, the, the Egyptians didn't say that the Israelites is just not recorded in history. And so it's not a contradiction if we don't have uh, a statement to the contrary to yeah. what has been recorded in the Bible. All right, we're going to get started uh, with our break, and then we'll get to, to more of this discussion on the other side. As you can see, it's going to be an interesting discussion. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Imagine this. A man has a son. The son is worldly and wicked. 
He becomes involved in all sorts of terrible, immoral, and ultimately criminal behavior. Inevitably, he is arrested for his evil deeds. Now he is in jail, and he faces a series of trials and prosecutions that will almost certainly lead to a long prison sentence. The father loves his son, and he immediately begins to do whatever he can to help this desperate situation. He pays an extremely high bail bond so that his son can be at liberty until his trial date. He contacts the best defense attorney possible, and although the lawyer demands a huge wage, the father hires him to do the work. There are other expenses involved in trying to right the wrongs his son has committed. All of this, of course, is very expensive. The father is forced to mortgage his home. He spends all the money that he had been saving toward his own retirement. He borrows money against everything he owns. He has given all to help the son whom he loves. Now, how does the son feel about all this? Do you suppose that this makes him feel good? Do you think he is happy that it has been necessary for his father to sacrifice so much to save him from his own miserable deeds? Does it make him feel important? Does he boast to others about how much his father loves him? No. If he is any kind of man at all, he is embarrassed that his evil choices have led to this despicable situation. He grieves that he has cost his father so much. He feels truly sorry that because of him, his father has been forced to sacrifice everything. Here's our point. Some folks are teaching that we ought to feel good about ourselves, love ourselves, and think highly of ourselves because God sent his son to die for our sins. We are special, they tell us, because God has provided this great sign of his love. On the basis of this, we are urged to have an elevated self-esteem. We should love ourselves, they say, because God has loved us. How can this be so? We are terrible, wretched sinners. How awful it is that our evil deeds have required the death of God's sinless Son. How can this make us feel good? We should feel terrible that our sins required the shedding of Jesus' blood. No, the self-esteem crowd has it all wrong. There is nothing here to feel good about. Instead, we should be deeply grieved and humbled. God loved us even, quote, while we were yet sinners, Romans 5, verse 8. Be thankful for that. He paid an ultimate price and, quote, redeemed us with the precious blood of Christ, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Praise Him. As a result of all this, we should, quote, love Him because He first loved us, 1 John 4, verse 19. Notice that we should love Him, not love ourselves. We show this love by humbly obeying His commands, 1 John 5, verse 3. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, my name is Hunter. I'm 11 years old, and I love listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the Virtual Bible Study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College of the Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And uh, send us an email if you have a question or a comment or suggestion for a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We'd love to hear from you. Questions at collegeview.com. You can also use that email address. To request a free bumper sticker to help us get the word out about the program. Questions at collegeview.com. We're talking about the New Testament and how we got it on our program tonight. And again, not necessarily talking about the ins- the inspiration of the New Testament, but how we got the New Testament. Jeff and Kevin in the chat room have good comments about how uh, the Egyptians likely would have wanted to omit certain parts of that history. Uh, again, uh, because they were the big losers in that episode. And, uh, and they weren't saying that the Israelite exodus never never happened. Mark's saying, well, if we said the U.S. said that slavery never happened, no, it's just that it's omitted from their history. It's not recorded in their history. So by definition, you couldn't have a contradiction if it's just never mentioned. And Sarah mentions uh, one 
apparently one of the pharaohs whose history was admitted to save face. Uh, so it, she she documents that the Egyptians were specifically known to do that sort of thing. Thank you, Sarah. Okay. Uh, Nick in Florida on the Facebook page uh, references Hebrews chapter two verses three and four. How God confirmed the written word the uh, with the signs and miracles that were were work that he was working for and with those men as they taught and as they wrote. Thank you, Nick. Now, uh, we started out, we, we began to comment about this, how when these documents of the New Testament were written, uh, they began to be circulated among Christians. We know this, Colossians 4, verse 16, when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Um, you get the idea they were circulating. Now, no, they didn't have printing presses, and they didn't have copy machines, and so... If they had a copy, it was a handwritten copy. So they circulated these among the, uh, among the churches. Uh, some questions are often asked about the epistle from Laodicea, and a lot of people think that's probably a reference to the epistle that started out in Ephesus, uh, which was in that same region. First uh, Thessalonians 5, verse 27, Paul said, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. Okay. And so they were circulating those books. As soon as those letters were written, they knew they came from inspired men, and they began to circulate them among Christians. These And so these documents were known. It didn't take centuries before they became accredited. They were known by these Christians and known to come from these inspired writers. And they were ultimately compiled in one book. And there's some indication, historic indication, that compiling these various documents into a single group may have begun as early as 115 A.D., shortly after the death of the last apostle. All right, so what you're saying here is that when they got a writing from Paul or from Peter or John, they had seen the signs, heard about the signs that these men were doing. They knew that this writing was inspired, and so they revered it. They And they passed it around. Passed it around yeah. and said, this is something special. You need to read it. This is the inspired word of God. We've got to preserve it. We've got to make copies. We've got to distribute it because everyone needs to see this. Exactly right. All right. Here's, a, here's an, I think, kind of a neat footnote. Again, these documents were considered as Scripture immediately. Let me read to you First Timothy 5, verse 18. The Scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. So Paul says, the scripture says, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, Old Testament. But the laborer is worthy of his reward. That's not in the Old Testament. That's a quote from Luke chapter 10, verse 7. Paul referenced Luke, and he said what Luke said is scripture. You see that? Yeah. And then, of course, a very, and of course, and that was in, uh, Paul wrote, probably wrote, First Timothy in the mid sixties A.D. So in the mid sixties, Luke's writings were already being regarded as scripture. Yeah. Uh, in Second Peter chapter three verse sixteen, we think we, again we think Second Peter was probably written in the mid mid sixties A.D. as well. Peter says uh, speaks of the things that were written by our beloved Paul, our beloved brother Paul according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, 
which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Mm, okay. He calls Paul, Peter calls Paul's writing scripture. It's on, on, on par, par with the other scriptures. Yeah. All right. So, that, again, uh, the, the point we want to make is it's a big mistake. And I just don't. I just don't think there's any support for the position that says lots of people were throwing out documents, and it, it took a long, long time before any of them years, three hundred plus years before any of them became acknowledged as inspired of God. Nobody knew it, uh, initially, and it took a long, long time. And people just sort of finally said, "Well, okay, we'll we'll take that one." It wasn't like that at all. They knew immediately as soon as the documents were written that they came from inspired men. They revered them as inspired documents. They holy scripture. They circulated them among other Christians. Uh, th- that's what we know for a fact. Mark says, so anything that supports Christianity is legit, but the stuff that doesn't is false or has an agenda. Well, and he says, what about when history supports Christianity? How is that more than it's not? Where does it not support it, Mark? Again, we're looking for a, a, a contradiction, not an omission of history. You, you cite the Egyptians as omitting any reference to the Israelite exodus. Where are the contradictions with what the Bible states about history and what history records that's verified? Where do we have a verified contradiction? That's what we would need to see. Uh, he says his latest comment there in the chat room is... Uh, um Historians agree that there isn't anything confirmed until around the time of David. Well, um, of course, remember that we're talking about real early periods of written, of, of writing itself. You know, years ago, people criticized that Moses could have been the author of the first five books of the Old Testament because they said men didn't even know how to write then. Well, now we know that they did, and we've, we, we, but, but you, that's a long, long time ago, and archaeolo- archaeological discoveries of such things are harder to come by because they're so far removed in history. But, right. but again, what we're saying is no established fact of history and no confirmed archaeological discovery has ever contradicted anything said in the Bible. There's no, just to be a, extreme for point of emphasis there's no body who could confirm the accounts of adam and eve in the garden of eden there wasn't anybody else around uh nobody can confirm nobody wrote about in the time of noah and said that noah guy is crazy and you can disregard everything but there was nobody was writing in noah's day nobody was probably writing in abraham's day and uh, it's very hard to find any reference to written history in moses's day because they were even wondering if you could write in moses's day and remember moses is the only, one who led it, the exodus out of egypt so it's only been gonna... within the last hundred years that Archaeology has proved that men did know how to write in the time of Moses. So, again, that would say there's not a lot of archaeological discovery out there in the time frame of Moses, and it's only been within the last century where there have been some discoveries that confirmed that men would have known how to write in the time of Moses. So is it unusual, then, that it would, there would be a gap in history uh, with Moses' contemporaries in Egypt referencing the Israelites and them leaving? Not uh, not unlikely, since uh, that writing is so scarcely found anyways. Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Uh, Mark says, are there confirmed accounts of history that confirm the lack of aliens existing? So does that mean that aliens exist? 
I get that. Yeah, I'm not um, sure that uh, that's headed down the right track there. Let's 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 get back on. We're really when we're arguing these Old Testament questions, we're really missing the emphasis that we wanted to make uh, okay. in response to Mark's comment last week about the old the, the New Testament just being compiled by a bunch of men who got together and decided at the Council of Nicaea. And and really, what we want to what, what we're trying to prove is that uh, was was. Produced by inspired men, accepted as inspired immediately among Christians of the first century who revered them and circulated them and who began to collect them and compile them maybe within just a few years of the death of the last apostle. Uh, And then we know real quickly, I asked one of the questions I asked on our update was uh, how do the writings of uh, non-inspired first and second century authors help establish the, the confidence in the New Testament? Well, within 50 years after the apostles, there are several writers who made frequent appeal to the things that we call the New Testament books. That's within 50 years? Yeah, within 50 years of the death of the last apostle, we've got writings of secular men, uninspired men, who quoted the things that were written by the inspired authors of the New Testament. They did what we do. If we want to prove a point, for instance, we're preaching a sermon. When we're preaching a sermon, we want to prove that something, that an idea is from God. We've got to quote scripture. We're not inspired ourselves, so we've got to quote inspired men in order to prove a thing to be true. And that's what these uninspired writers of the first and second century did. Clement of Rome dates to 95 AD. He makes reference to Matthew, Mark, Hebrews, Romans, 1 Timothy, Titus, 1 Peter, and Ephesians. Now, that, wait, now these are external sources, not the Bible, yeah, that the, are the, quoting the Sometimes these are called the early church fathers. They weren't inspired men, but they quoted inspired these inspired documents. Right. Now, get that. Clement of Rome lived in the first century, at the end of the first century. Within 50 years. So this is, uh, let's put it in modern, let's put it in modern times. This is like a a guy referencing something that was written in 1967. Not that long ago. Yeah. He's referencing it and saying he, it's accepted as scripture. Yeah. Uh, uh, again, notice all the he quotes from all of these books: Matthew, Mark, Hebrews, Romans, First Timothy, Titus, First Peter, Ephesians. Justin Martyr, who lived in the first half of the second century, repeatedly cited the four Gospels, mentions Acts and Revelation. So this is within a hundred years. Okay. Ignatius, uh, who dates to A.D. 115, Polycarp, A.D. 130, referred to various New Testament books. There were other writers a little later in the second century. Irenaeus mentions Paul's epistles over 200 times. Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian. So these secular writers, they're not inspired, but they're doing what we would do. They quoted the inspired documents. It's been argued that if the, the New Testament was suddenly lost, that it could be reconstructed by the quotes that these early church writers made from those documents. Now, this is just proving that the writings that we have now in the New Testament weren't just something that were, was created some later date, maybe in the 300s A.D., no, it was written at the time that it claims to be written in the first century, and it's quoted by folks that lived in those times, as be, and they reference it, indicating that it, that it existed in those times. Now, go ahead. Now, the, the final point, before we, let's grab our last break, but the final point we want to make is that, that all of the questions about the canon of the New Testament was settled a long time before there was a church council 
which met to decide that in 397 at the Council of Nicaea, uh, men knew way before then what books were inspired and which ones weren't. And that's, and, and, and they just applied logic and common sense to know which books were inspired of God. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. We'll get our last break. I would just say the council only confirmed what was already known yes. to be true. Yes. All right. We'll get our last break. When we get back, we've got some comments from Mark to take, and we've got some good responses from our listeners in email tonight. We need to include those as well. Uh, well, you'll want to stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. More than half of all Americans say they have read little or none of the Bible. Although more than 80% own a Bible, more than a third say they never pick it up on their own. However, most Americans have a Bible. 37% say it's helpful today, while a similar number, 35%, say it is life-changing. Half, 52%, say the Bible is a good source for morals, but 14% say the Bible is outdated 8% say it is bigoted, 7% think it is harmful. That information is via the Gospel Coalition. The Word of God says in Psalm 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. Back on the program, going to the top of the hour. Monty, we have not heard from you on the program tonight. Any thoughts? Well, one of the things we mentioned a minute ago from the writings of these second, first and second century writers, they tended to quote large volumes of the scriptures when they was writing their letters. And I've read that if we took just took their writings, we could reconstruct the entire New Testament with the exception of maybe about eight verses. Mm-hmm. And so these guys quoted so much stuff, and we've got copies of their letters. We've got copies. Uh, dating from the second century of, of New Testament documents. So we've got a, a mountain, a mountain of evidence to suggest that what we have is accurate copies of, of the original writings. All right. And Mark in the chat room says, the lack of proof against what you believe, not facts about Israelites not existing, does not prove it exists or is true. That's what I'm getting at. So he says, the lack of proof against what you believe does not prove it exists or is true. But, Mark, it is your obligation to provide that proof that it doesn't exist or that it's not true. And you haven't been able to do that so far in the program tonight. Yeah, that, if it's not true, then you ought to be able to prove that it's not true. Uh, there, there must be some form of argument that say this is not legitimate. We've offered all kinds of arguments that, why we think it is legitimate. And, again, we haven't gone deep into the inspiration tonight. But the idea of these writers uh, who were personal companions of Jesus and who wrote these things 
No, no. Again, we're trying to. We've really been chasing rabbits now, but we're trying to deal carefully with the last week. He says, I think that the Bible, the New Testament, is mostly fan fiction about a legendary, inspiring man, Jesus Christ, and how we got what we have now was the decision of a bunch of men in the Council of Nicaea. That's what we're trying to deal with. And you're showing that it wasn't the decision of a bunch of men in the Council of Nicaea because we have folks in contemporary with the apostolic writers who are quoting them and accepting that they are scripture and it wasn't fan fiction it was written by men who were willing to lay down their lives for the cause they had initially been very cowardly when jesus was arrested and crucified but when they saw the resurrected savior they became willing to lay down their lives for the cause so they knew they knew they had reason to know it was true they saw it themselves it was their personal experience that caused them to be willing to be martyrs for the cause. And I think that really, by the way, uh, that sets this apart from other religions. Now, there are people who are willing to die today for Islam. That, uh, we're not talking about that. There are people today willing to die for Christianity. We're not talking about that. We're talking about at the origin of the thing. Uh there's no, there's no indication that people were willing to die like the apostles to prove something about Muhammad. Now people died around Muhammad because he was a military leader. He he took he led people into battle. People died. Jesus was was not a military leader, but people were willing to lay down their lives for his cause voluntarily as martyrs because they knew it was true and those very people are the people who wrote and the documents that they wrote are the documents that compose our new testament and and that's why we're saying it's not fan fiction it comes from first-hand eyewitnesses who knew what they were talking about uh in the first century all right so mark responds by saying the burden of proof is on us well, Mark made the claim that the New Testament is mostly fan fiction, and how we got it, what we have now, is a decision of a bunch of men. We're dealing with that, and we've shown evidence that it is not fan fiction, and that it wasn't decided by a bunch of men. We're providing the proof. Now, Mark's rebuttal to that proof is simply, well, the Bible contradicts with history, because the Egyptian history doesn't reference, doesn't say that they didn't make an exodus, just doesn't reference anything about the Israelites making an exodus, and that constitutes a contradiction. It doesn't contradict a, uh, constitute a contradiction. And that has been the only proof that Mark has presented, uh, that the Bible is fan fiction, that it is something that was just decided by a bunch of men. And again, we've, we've, we've have, we have multiple uh, programs in our archives in which we talk about the proofs of Bible inspiration. We can do that again. Uh, we've done it not that long ago, actually, just a few uh, weeks ago, earlier this year. Uh, we did a program on the inspiration of the Scripture. There's several in our archives. We're really not talking about that. We've also talked about the uh, Apocrypha. He asked, why don't you accept the Apocrypha? Well, we talked about that a little bit at the start of the program about the canon of Scripture and what it takes to be accepted as inspired text, and the Apocrypha doesn't pass those tests, but we've talked about that on previous uh, editions of the program. 
And uh, guess 5461 says, The original question suggested that men took Jesus and may have embellished or changed Jesus into a type of, of a, a legendary person. Then men at the Nicene Council gave us the New Testament from these corrupted legendary accounts. But when we examine the New Testament Gospels, books, and letters, we see a very consistent account of the same Jesus whose life is carefully recorded by the four Gospel writers. Jesus of Nazareth, who lived 30, uh, 33 years, died in Jerusalem, was raised and seen by many witnesses. Uh, the Gospel went out and... Uh, and I think uh, that cut off. Okay, all right. Uh, yeah, but all of that that he was saying was exactly on. Right. There's not. There's. There was no time for this message to get corrupted. You know, it's it because we have these. We've got all kinds of of documentary evidence that dates to the time of the apostles. And it was there it, are five thousand plus. Uh, Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. We have complete New Testaments that date to within the second or third century A.D. We have fragments of the of the New Testament that date to 120 A.D. We've got tons and tons and tons of documentary evidence, that, and, and so someone said, "Well, yeah, this uh, along about 1200 A.D. This corruption entered into the text. No, it couldn't because we're not trusting anything that was." In the 1200s, we're going back to the first and second centuries A.D. for our manuscript evidence to prove that we have documents today that relate exactly to the original documents. And and these uh, letters were being written and circulated in the area in which the events that they were writing about took place. It wasn't like they were writing about something that occurred in, say, South America somewhere where nobody had ever been, nobody could verify. They were writing about things that had happened there among the folks that we're going to be reading and, and all of the uh, and all of these manuscripts that you can compare one to another proves that the, this this message was accurately conveyed to us i was going to do a, a quick little uh example jacob they we we know that when the original documents were being tr- uh circulated among christians they had to be handwritten copies someone said yeah you get a bunch of handwritten copies you can you can you can end up with a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Well, uh, here I've got I've got nine copies of the same word. Yeah. I would just copy in the same word, cat, 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 cat. But one of them came out car instead of cat. Yeah. You have any? In other words, can I be sure that the this was the original up here? And this was a later copy down here, and it it had a, a variation in it. Is it is the variation easy to identify? It is, and there are scholars who specialize in this. It's but, called textual criticism. But you line them up together, and if there's a contradiction, then you can right determine. here, right here's a variation, and we can exclude that one clearly. And we just got nine, we got nine copies of the original word, and one of them is a variation, and we can easily identify that and exclude it. And that's what that's what that's what they did with the the manuscript evidence of the New Testament. We, we've got so much of it. The it most makes, documented text of, of antiquity. Exactly right. And we have thousands of copies. Exactly right. Not just one or two. Thousands of copies. We can be confident that what we have is accurate, and uh, that it was not just decided by a bunch of men. Real quickly, we, we, I want oh, to add. Out of time. We, I want to add one point. We we briefly touched upon this, but. 
We know that God was working to preserve this message. We have that confidence as people of faith. We believe that God would not let his inspired word fall away and be lost to mankind. Um, Matthew twenty four thirty five. Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. First Peter 1, verse 25, The word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. We believe that God was providentially protecting the New Testament to bring it reliably and accurately to us today. All right, uh, and we've got we Paul took so much time to write his uh, response. Jeff did as well, and Ramona. We haven't even talked about Ramona's response, but we're out of time. Uh, thank you for those responses. Yeah, sorry tonight. we didn't get to all of them tonight. Uh, and Mark has said, "I don't want to prove you wrong. I would just suggest." Looking at all the facts, that's all. Consider that maybe, just maybe, those who find evidence to the contrary aren't out to prove God is false. Consider that maybe they're just archaeologists just doing their job. Uh, but again, here's here's the ultimate challenge to you, Mark. Find an archaeological discovery that controverts a single thing taught in the New Testament. You cannot do it. Knowledgeable archaeologists will, will, will all unanimously confirm that archaeological discoveries have confirmed the Bible, not contradicted it. Mark says, I was a person of faith, same as you all, but when I looked into the facts, I didn't find that it held up unless I maintained my bias. Well, Mark, we'd like to hear more from you on that. Uh, and Again, we'd maybe be willing to come on to the program and share some of what you found with us. We'd, we'll be welcoming you for that. But um, what haven't, we haven't seen it from you tonight, uh, Mark, proof but, that, uh, but, that what we're saying is But, is but I also want to say, in all fairness, Mark, we didn't just fall off the turnip truck yesterday. We've studied these things, too. It's not like the your, your implication about us is that we have blindly accepted these things as being true. And I, I hope you could uh, acknowledge that uh, we're, we're reasonable people, too. And we, we have the intellectual capacity and desire to confirm these things as well. Uh, you know, I, I just don't want, I don't want the suggestion to be that we have just blindly followed something without investigation. I hope just some of the, some of the things that we talked about tonight demonstrate that we've thought very carefully along these lines. All right. Mark, we'd want to have other comments and discussion with you, so send us an email, questions at collegeu.com, and uh, maybe suggest uh, some uh, further things that we could discuss in this forum. And I would like, but, but I think in, in order for it to be productive, Mark needs to put down some points to be considered. We chased too many rabbits tonight. Kate, Kevin says this. He says, please write an, e- an email with details of your position. These men will study those points rationally without bias. Yeah. Yeah, we'll present them. Exactly. Why, right. don't you, why don't you put it together in an email, Mark, and we can present them and discuss them in this format. All right. Uh, a good discussion tonight. Maybe a little bit of rabbit chasing, but I guess you have to do that every now and then. Yeah, but, sure. But uh, a good discussion. Monty, thank you for being here and helping us get on the air tonight. Thank you, Jake. And for your comments. Dad, thank you for your time. Thanks, Jacob. And uh, thank you for joining us. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Again, we welcome you at any time to send us an email, questions at collegeview.com. We'd love to hear from you. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. 
Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.